Have you guys ever thought about what a decision or wrong or correct could take you and where it could lead you down the road? Maybe it's a lifestyle. Maybe it's a certain group of people. Have you ever considered how one instant can maybe change your life forever? Well, today's guest is a super special one. Her name is Emily O'Brien, and she's hopefully going to tell us all about her story with a specific experience that we're going to talk about in a minute. One, two, three. Hola, hello, everyone. It's your host, Sabrina, and welcome to the Pretty Sure Podcast, where we'll talk about everything from travel, dating, to expat life, and everything in between. With new guests and topics each week, we'll get advice, some insights, and talk about things I'm pretty sure you've all experienced at one point or another. Sometimes all we really want to know is why, what does it mean, and am I the only one? See, I felt alone many times in my life, but I've gotten through it all by having my friends at my side. So I want you to think of me as your new best friend. We'll laugh together and maybe even overthink a little, but we'll have a damn good time at it all. So get ready guys, cause here we go. Welcome back guys to Pretty Sure Podcast. So like I mentioned, today's guest is really exciting because I am an avid Netflix fan watcher and I have been a fan of Orange is the New Black for so many years, but I've also really considered whether that's the actual experience that people go through when they're in jail, if it's, you know, a little bit more Hollywoodized or what the actual deal is. Specifically, I come from Mexico, like you know, and here in Mexico, it is not very common that you know people that do get in trouble. And if you do, you know, you have that perception of you pay a policeman and then you can exit or like if you're rich, you can get out of jail for you or you cannot get in trouble. So today's guest actually is an entrepreneur, a speaker, and she is a former convict, but that is not the only thing she's done. She's also an activist and she does so many things. Her name is Emily and she is the founder of Comeback Snacks. So welcome, Emily, and please tell us a little about yourself and your story before we dive in. Sure. My name is Emily O'Brien. I grew up in Hamilton, Ontario. It's an hour west, just uh, outside Toronto, and grew up with a great family, great siblings, parents, everything. Um, gone to high school, started experimenting with drugs and alcohol because I was bullied in elementary school. And so I became very introverted. And in high school, I kind of wanted to be more social, and but I just didn't know how to talk to people because I was so shy. And these substances didn't get really out of control until university where I ended up getting a DUI. And I was like, okay, this isn't a good path. Um, Kind of stopped drinking there for a bit, but uh, when I moved to Toronto and started my own business, I uh, it, it did really well. It was a social media company, um, but came along with that was like lots of partying and socializing and everything like that. So quickly the substances uh, came back into my life. And again, I didn't see it as a, a problem because I was just celebrating. But when things went wrong with my family, um, you know, I kind of tried to curb the effects of what I was feeling with substances because I didn't want to seem weak. And mm-hmm. someone came into my life who I thought had really good intentions for me, who I thought wanted to get me on like, you know, not a be- better path because I was, I was on a great path. I just had this, like these substances that, that weren't a good part of this path. Right. So like I had to get rid of that, that chunk and he wanted me to get sober. Turns out he didn't want me to get sober. He'd actually just been targeting me to be a drug mule for him. And we go on a trip because that's what you do sometimes when you date people, you go on trips. It's like, not like I planned to do anything wrong when I was there, but, um, 
he told me that he had some debts to pay and this was on a trip to St. Lucia. And then I ended up having to bring drugs back for him because he told the people down there that I, that I was into it, that I was going to do it for them. And so I just wanted to go home. I was scared and I was also unsure. And I thought the safest way would just be to do it. And I got arrested and eventually sentenced to four years in prison. That's crazy. Do you like looking back on your life, did you ever think you like something like that was going to happen to you? Not necessarily that you would go to jail, but did you ever think this might become a problem down the road if I don't stop it? Or you were just like, eh, let's see what happens. Yeah, no, like I knew that I was always a risk taker and I knew I'd gotten away with a lot of things. Um, but I, at a young age, I was fascinated with crime. Like I thought I was so different from someone that was someone that was in prison. You know, I was very curious. Like, even when I was young, I was reading about criminal stories and I never saw myself as being one of them. Right. So it, it was pretty shocking to as ignorant as that sounds, because I was ignorant, you know, it was pretty shocking as how easy it was to do something that just seemed like something that was the safest option to being incarcerated. Right. So, yeah, um, you know, I didn't know the law. I didn't know the risks. Um, that was definitely a, a shortcoming of mine, but again, I'm not a law student. I didn't, study this right so I had to pay the price the, the social price and that was a jail term yeah wow okay before we get into actually how it was like for you in prison so did you at any point realize that this person was targeting you or did you just realize when it was too late like how do you think all of these decisions led to you being a drug mule for that instance I honestly didn't think he was targeting me for that. Like I started to feel like there's something off about him, but at the same time I outweighed those off things with the good things about him. Uh, so I was just at that time I was just like flagrantly dating people. Like, I didn't care. And I thought he was someone that had more substance and that was like really nice. It was really refreshing to meet someone like that. So, but I guess it was just like an act, unfortunately. So he was very good at, at what he did and it was by making me feel different. Mm-hmm. So, um, did he get in any trouble whatsoever or he got Yeah, scared? he was with me. So he had it on him too, actually. And he was also arrested and is he's now in, in prison. So. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least you got, let's say, the better offer of that situation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So tell us a little bit about how prison was really like for you. Because like I mentioned, the only kind of like experience I have from it is watching Hollywood movies and, you know, watching Orange is the New Black and those documentaries on Netflix about super high criminals that, you know, they are all kind of like a bit insane or whatever it is that they do. Like, you know, those really exaggerated versions of what actually happens. So tell us a little bit about what life was really like for you on the inside. Um, I was ready to go in. So I think like my experience in prison also was based off the mentality that I had going in. And I've always been like a kind person. And sometimes my kindness gets me into like trusting people a little bit too much. Um, But you know, you can't you can't ever win at that because some people are just going to screw with you no matter what. It doesn't mean you can't ever trust people again. Right? Mm -hmm. Because there are a lot of deserving people that are good. So I never make blanket situations like I never make blanket assumptions, but I knew that going in, I would be just like everyone else in there. Like I didn't think I was better or worse than anyone going in there. So I actually developed a lot of friends. Um, you know, my sentence, I got, I got my sentence and then we had um, about two months to kind of prepare before I was actually like before the court and I was being sent in. Right. So it wasn't like I pled guilty and then it was off I go. Right. It was like, okay, we're going to put forward a plea bargain. And then, so once the plea bargain was put forth and then I got on that sentencing day, 
Like I knew I was going basically. So, um, I had to prepare myself for that. And, you know, I had to prepare to be away from my friends and family. And, um, I was definitely scared, like in the sense that people like to scare me like a little bit too much, but then I quickly learned that it was like all just hype, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and if you're just a good person and if you're nice to people and if you treat people as such, and if you don't cause any problems, you're, you're going to be fine. So for me, it was just, I got into the most trouble by breaking rules that I didn't know existed. And that was like, in terms of like the correctional rules, like there's lots of ambiguous, like rules you have to follow that aren't on paper. And there's a lot of things that you learn after you do them that they're wrong. Right. So Mm, yeah, um, just kind of battle like the ever changing rules and dynamics of the prison structure itself was the most challenging part and, and the stupid rules that they have. Was it hard with all of the guards? Like, is it true that there's like a bit of corruption and they're a bit, you know, they're guided by those types of things? Or is that just more Hollywoodized versions of what it actually is like? Yeah. When in federal prison, like I, there were some guards that were, that were nasty mm-hmm. for sure. But I, I personally never saw any instances of, of corruption or anything like that. Like they were all pretty polite. Like, you know, like they, some of them treated you like garbage and then a lot of them are also like pretty nice. So in my opinion, I didn't really have any problems with, with anyone except for one really. Cause she tried to take my shoes. Ain't nobody going to take anyone's shoes. No, oh, that's no, not the thing on. you do. That's all I got. <laughs> and in terms of like food and everything else. So was the food that bad or was it kind of like decent? Were you able to maintain, let's say a healthy lifestyle within the means possible, or it's just like, whatever you get doesn't matter. You'll eat it. And then doesn't matter. Um, so in federal prison for women, we, I was in a medium security unit and Mm -hmm. then eventually moved to minimum. So we actually cook all of our own food and we live in a house. So there's like a a weekly food budget that we're allowed to kind of choose from. There's like a list of grocery items and then we can kind of go from there and all the food on there is from Canada's food guide. So you can order chicken, like burgers, um, like fruits and veggies and stuff. Uh, you get an allowance of $38.01 per week. So you got to not not blow it all in one spot. But um, And you also learn how to budget in there. So if any any treats you want, you, you could get off the canteen and you, you could get those orders weekly as well. Um, okay. But it wasn't like a set meal like list um, unless you were a maximum in, inmate. So that definitely ha- – and, and if you're in um, like the detention side of – prison which is like jail so anything less than two years you're in a different kind of prison it's, it's called a provincial and so those meals are all on trays but where when i served my time it was a different kind of food structure okay so you still had kind of like a sense of being home inside this whole prison thing so you weren't feeling like oh my god i feel like i'm at school i get this like tray served and everything i don't have as many liberties so you were kind of on the better end of it yeah, I guess. Like, I, I'm also really good at compartmentalizing things. And, you know, I also knew that I kind of needed a break from society and technology and everything. And so I was pretty patient. And, you know, you have you have TV in there and you can we pay you pay for cable, actually. But okay, again, if you like abuse any of those privileges and it can easily be, be taken away. So yeah, I'm going to keep that in mind for one of the last questions I have, because it was something about, like, when you leave, how did you feel? But I'm going to add in the technology part. So, okay. Um, how were you able to actually turn this whole experience into a positive? Because, you know, you decided to turn your life. You mentioned you got clean. You just, like, did a 180 on your life. So how 
did you manage to not just be like, oh, well, I'm just going to serve my time and continue down the spiral? Um, I wanted to create something based off this experience. I wanted to create some sort of social good because that's when I did my best work. Even when I had my other company, like I always loved working with nonprofits and stuff like that. So when I got there, I really saw how unique my experience was compared to the majority majority of other people in there. And sure, my story mattered, but I think like it wasn't just my story that mattered. And so we were all talking over food uh, and having snacks and stuff. And someone put like a combination of lemon pepper and dill on their popcorn. And I tasted it and it was like so good. And I also like kind of loved how we all just like were laughing and, and pretending like or just feeling like we weren't in prison. And so I kind of used popcorn as a vector to start a social enterprise in, in, in behind prison walls and as a way to like employ people that could potentially not find work because of their criminal record. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so from there, was it hard? Obviously any business is hard, but obviously you have the added limitation of being inside, being in the system and all of that. So tell us about your unique challenge with actually creating the um, comeback snacks company and what, like, how did you come up with the whole business model and everything within prison? Um, well, it all started with popcorn kernels and stamps. And I, so I'd start to write letters to people that had built successful businesses. I would read articles and I also had my, uh, friends and family send me market research from the inside out or from the outside in. So in the mail, I'd get like stuff about, you know, snack consumption and, and food trends. Right. And I figured out kind of like the pricing of popcorn and I knew that popcorn also wasn't unique. So it would be something that people already loved. Right. Like if I was coming up with this totally new snack with this totally new concept, it would have been a little bit harder, but because people already were familiar with popcorn and it was popular, I could, I knew I could use that as a way to to share the story. And yeah. So I just started building my relationships really through, through letters. And, and then we had a blog that was online that I, I would write articles and send them out and my partner would post them online while I was still inside. So we started to kind of generate buzz while I was still incarcerated. That's so cool. Um, and so what type of limitations do you have in terms of mental block? Because obviously you go there, you said you were prepared, you were ready for all of this. But, you know, starting a business comes with added stress. And on top of that, you can't really do stuff much when you're inside and all that. So how, first of all, did you get over those mental blocks that you had? Well, I think getting over the first mental block is like, just like you said, like, oh, you can't really do much when you're inside. Well, I never thought like that. Right. I was like, it's, I was like, what can I use that's in here? Like I have a library, you know, I have people that can tell me more about their lives and their, and their stories. And I have an environment which needs to be changed. And so I began to just really observe and document all the things that needed to be changed and just to break down all those myths that society had. And, you know, I read 82 books in prison. Wow. Right. And so just kind of self-education for me, well, getting letters and getting things sent into me that were, you know, allowed to be sent in um, really didn't create blocks for me. Like, of course there's like the technology block, but it just, when you don't have technology, you just become creative in other ways. Right. So Mm -hmm. you can't really be antisocial in there. It's like, you can't be on your phone in there. You can't hide in your room. Like it's like some people like stay in their room, but like you, you're actually like forced to kind of socialize in there, which is good. So I just thought it was like a big research project and it was felt like it was so interesting to me. Right. Like, of course there's obviously like 
horrible, horrible days and times were early and my family couldn't get in to see me or like they'd cancel visits and not tell anyone or, you know, my boyfriend leaves me and like all those things were horrible at the time. But looking back, it's like, it's hindsight. It's, it's, you have to go through painful times in order to grow and you can't be afraid of pain. Yeah. So a hundred percent. So, and when you did have those bad days, how did you deal with that? Because you'll seem like a very, I don't want to say positive person, but like very realistic, positive, kind of like, it is what it is. I'll get over it. So how did you actually manage to get over the bad days? Because I can imagine it's hard. Like if it's hard, especially outside, once you're inside and you can't have like the support of your family, like right there hugging you and everything. How did you get over that? Um, you have to let yourself just be sad. Like we live in a world that tells us that we have to be happy all the time. And I don't think that's realistic. Like, so you have to grieve things that you lose mm-hmm. and, you know, move on from them. And, but you have to also have to realize that they're going to take time. Like when my, my partner left me and I, he was seeing someone else, it was a horrible three weeks, but I wasn't like, Oh, I'm going to get revenge on him. I'm going to get even like, it was just like, okay, like what can I do next? You know? And I didn't feel helpless like a lot of us feel when we get dumped or whatever. It's like, I actually, after a while I began to feel empowered and that's because I allowed, I wrote it out. I wrote out the wave. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's honestly amazing because I feel like you said, a lot of people are just focused on, I'm not supposed to feel sad. I'm not supposed to feel sad. And then you don't feel it. And then it like hits you years later and you're like, well, shit, I was up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about what was the hardest part for you during this whole process. It could be in the business part or it could be in the years or time that you spent in prison because I think reading from your um, interviews and everything that you've done, you got a reduced sentence, right? Um, I did, but I still have a mandatory minimum, right? So I, I got out on parole, but that's like a statistical amount of time that you have to serve. It wasn't because like it was only me being good. Like most people that import drugs, they want to get in and get out and so it was like a statistical number of days and it was still delayed because like they were so slow. So like, <laughs> like there's no room in the halfway house. Um, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Wait, what was the question? <laughs> yeah. So what was the hardest part for you of the whole oh, process? Yeah. The hardest part, I guess I would say inside or outside. Let's do both. The hardest part inside was, Oh my God, that's hard. Cause there's like, it's obviously hard as a whole. But I wouldn't say there's anything that was like particularly hard because there are certain days that were hard, but there was not one like overarching theme that was hard. There are, I would say, I would say it was the rules, like trying to get around all these, all these stupid rules and, and everything and then breaking rules. Um, But on the outside, I would definitely say it was convincing my parole officer that what I was doing was good. You know, she didn't believe me. And so I battled with her on and on for, for a year, almost about, me and, and my ability to hire people that had been to prison. She didn't want me, allow me to do it. And I was like, well, the parole board let me out. So I, I didn't quit. But it's just like, how am I supposed to do, run this business with this plan and help people coming out of prison, which is like my, my purpose. And you're not letting me do that. So like, that was definitely a pain in the ass. Um, but now, now we're good. Like I just had to be, I had to be patient, but I also had to be persistent. So it was like a perfect balance of those two things. So how does it happen? Because I feel like that is something really interesting that not many people talk about. So do they have control over Let's say you're starting a business. They can tell you you're not allowed to do that if they don't feel like it is. Or is it more of a suggestion type of thing? Like a parole officer. Yeah. Like they can make any rules that they want, but if you fight them on it, like, you know, 
you're bound to have a better chance, especially when you're backed up by the parole board of Canada. Mm-hmm. And she, I guess, she, they're so busy. She didn't read my case file, right? So it's like, how can you not know this is what I'm trying to do? And this is what I yeah. want to do. So eventually. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, resilience always gets their way. So it definitely yeah. does, does make sense. Yeah. Okay. So business aside, because obviously businesses change your life, you know, creating this whole um, come X and X and everything. How did you find that your life changed once you got out? I think it changed like, it was like a 180, you know, mm-hmm. like I was just full speed ahead. I still had a lot of conditions I had to follow that kind of slowed down like the growth of it. Like, you know, if I wanted to do a speaking engagement somewhere, I would have to get like a, a letterhead from the principal of the school. And like, well, what kind of principal is going to write like a letter? Like, that's so annoying. You know what I mean? It's like getting people to write these, like you have to be pretty f- freaking important if like, like they have to go bend over backwards to get them to do that. So it would just be like the constant reporting that was really annoying, but it was kind of just putting all the bullshit aside and going for it. You know, like I thought about it when I woke up, I thought about it when I was driving and when I went to sleep and I put every second of myself into this, into this project and into this business. And there's a lot of sacrifices that I had to make, you know, like I didn't really date. Right. So it was, it's hard to date someone when you run a really busy business. Cause then they start to feel important, uh, unimportant. Right. Or, you know, they don't feel like they're good enough and stuff. So definitely your personal life takes a hit. But in the beginning, what got me into trouble was that I, I cared too much about pleasing other people. Right. So I would just hang out guys all the time and be like, I felt like I needed their attention. Whereas now I didn't. So it was, it was a sacrifice, but it was like, I didn't, it didn't feel like one. So mm-hmm. just feeling more empowered after that was, was really good. That's amazing. Okay. So how did you actually feel when you left prison? I know you mentioned oh, about like the technology go. and everything. I was but- ready to go. <laughs> I, was like, I was so fearless at that point. I was like ready. And I knew that like nothing was going to get in my way. Even when it did, it wouldn't be in my way forever. You got through that. So you can do anything basically now. Yeah. Without being like ignorant or thinking like you're invincible, mm-hmm. but it's still having like that grit to like not see obstacles as something you cry over and cripple. It's like, okay, you pick it up, you pick up that obstacle and you carry it with you. Yeah. A hundred percent. And in terms of like all of the activities that you used to do before you went to prison, like when you got out, was it weird to start driving again? Was it weird to like be on your phone and have people being able to contact you and go on Facebook and everything? Did you have a like a time where you were like, I'm going to do it slowly or did you just go into it fully? Well, putting heels on for the first time was not good. Bambi. I think I kind of picked that up pretty quick um just because i i drive all the time and there's i even drove like like lawnmowers and stuff in prison so it wasn't like i was completely <laughs> off driving um cell phone use definitely was less but again like when you're building a business and like people know you're available it's and mm-hmm. you just want to reach out as quickly as possible like but it was nice to know that like i could always turn it off and the world would not die you know what I mean it's like okay yeah. I can for nine months and like these can go unanswered and you don't have to feel guilty about it yeah so it's just being more mindful of your use of technology and how much you want to use it I love that okay do you 
now find it hard to relate to other people on a certain level after having that experience. And the reason why I asked this question is because I had a friend of mine come on. She used to be in the army and I asked her a similar question. And she was like, it's totally different because not everybody goes through the same, not harassment, but you know, like strict and behavior and all of that. And so for her leaving, it was really hard to actually engage with other people. Did you have a similar experience? Does it still happen or how does that go for you? Um, I guess I can't, like, it's hard for me to relate to people that complain about, like, the smallest things, mm-hmm. you know, like, when it, like, things are such a big deal that, like, really aren't a big deal. And, like, I, I see so many people be crippled by these small, like, minute things. And I'm just like, oh, my God, like, how? Like, that's what I can't really relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, I also can't relate to people that, like, don't hold up their end of the bargain, like, just going through the whole justice system and prison system. It's like, if you say that you're going to do something like you do it. So I have like a lot less patience for like flakes and stuff like that. And people that like waste your time. So I guess kind of like that. Like I'm more, I'm more protective of my time because you know, if you're going to like flake on someone, I think it's like so disrespectful and like, you just don't do that in in prison or, and and even like in business, right? Like it's, you know, if, if things happen, like, like, you know, last minute or something, but it's, it just happens. I feel like in this world, it happens too often. Right. Yeah. So I think a hundred percent, you know, if you double triple book yourself that day, you, you do it. Like you do all three, you know, like you made the mistake. And so don't make someone else suffer because you messed up, you know? So like, don't cancel on someone else after they've been whatever. So just sleep later. Who cares? You'll be fine. Yeah. 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 Cause it really does affect your reputation. Oh, a hundred percent. Because yeah. you start becoming the flake person and then no one wants to work with you or they're like, Oh, we're going to be late because this person's always late or, oh, we're not going to do this because she always cancels or he always cancels or something. Yeah. Yeah. hundred um, percent. Okay. This one is a question I just thought of. It's really, it relates to what you were saying about your parole officer and everything. So during the first year that you leave prison, talk to us a little bit about how that reality is like, because obviously you can't just leave prison and go back home and everything is back to normal. Yeah. Yeah. No, you have to live in a halfway house for your first six months. and then. When you're living in that halfway house, you have to call every single time you change location. And then you also have to call from a landline before 6 p.m. So you're calling, like when you're on a business, you're like going everywhere, right? So it's like, a, they'd also hear, I'd call them like seven, eight times a day. And then if I didn't call from a landline, I would get in trouble. But it's like, but who has a landline? You know? Um, and then from like a more personal side, like, and this is something I got, I'm a huge advocate for is um, like the mandatory reporting of well, so-called mentor, but like reporting of physical contact with, with men or women. Mm-hmm. It's like you have to report your sexual relationships. And I thought that was just so such an invasion of privacy. And I thought like that was not conducive to a healthy lifestyle at all. I thought it was like abusive and a form mm-hmm. of like sexual harassment. Like if I didn't tell her that I was sleeping with someone and she found out I could potentially go back to jail and that I, yeah, yeah. I was like, that's so disgusting. Like, like when you're, when you're in prison, then when you're out of prison, like your whole life has already been invaded and people might say, yeah, you, you pay the, the time, but no one has the right to know who you, who you spend your intimate time with and yeah, it has nothing to do with the crime. Like, come on. Give me a break. So what's like, their, what's their logic even behind that? Like, did you I ever hear the role and humiliation over women? Wait, do men not go through this whole ordeal as well? Not, or as, they often. Don't really care not as often. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. I can't believe it. Okay. So since you mentioned this, 
back in prison, did you ever, like, was it a thing to experience sexual harassment? Were guards not nice towards you guys? Or, like, how was that whole thing in prison? Um, again, it really depends on the individual. Like, mm-hmm. definitely there was bullying that happened. Definitely there was drama. There was definitely fights. But it all depends on your actions. Um, a lot of it also could depend on the crime that you committed to get you into prison. You know, crimes against children and seniors or vulnerable people are not taken lightly from fellow inmates. So there definitely is bullying that goes on between those groups. Um, sexual harassment from guards. No, I had, I never, I wasn't ever, no one even flirted with me. Like it was like, if anything, like I laughed with the guards cause it was like funny, you know, like it wasn't, yeah. cause I kind of like, I was like a class clown. So, um, <laughs> there was like sexual activity that happened between other inmates, but, um, I didn't like engage in any of that too. Cause like, I didn't feel like I needed it. You know, like I was really enjoying the solace to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Have you kept in contact with any of your friends on the inside? Have like anyone left already? Did you hire anyone? Like how is that whole thing? Yeah. So I'm not allowed to hire people that are still on parole. Um, so a lot of my friends are still on parole like me because we have like longer sentences because um, we mule drugs, but like people that have been out and yeah, there's been two people that, that have worked for me from, uh, from the prison. So it's good. And I like, I have a very open door policy. Like you know, I like, I'll just hire anyone as long as they want to work. And they've been the best. Like they always come, like they're never late. They don't get hung over and not show up. Like they're so good. Like I, I rave about them the best. That's amazing. And do you still keep in contact with people that are on the inside? Like that you actually serve time with or no, no? I'm not allowed to, cause I'm still on parole. So I can't okay. have like conduct. Yeah. So for how long are you still on parole? How does that whole after prison thing work? One more year. Okay. Yeah. And then it's kind of just like you're free, you can do everything again. And are you able to like expunge it from your record at some point or it's always going to be there or like, um, I don't know what will happen in a couple of years with the government, but mm-hmm. under the current government's rules, like you have to wait seven years, but okay. I don't care about that. You know, it's like, yeah, because uh, the Canada, like if you have a criminal record in Canada, like the only other country that can really see it is the US unless they do like a criminal record check. So it's like, mm-hmm. So you don't I really can use my record as an asset and prove to others that like they can use their experience as an asset too. So why would I want to promote, Oh, get your record expunged, you know, like that's just going to make them feel limited until it happens. Yeah. A hundred percent. And are you still limited when it comes to speaking engagements? Because I know you mentioned previously in the interview that you still had to like get people to sign and everything. Or are they kind of like letting you a bit loose on that? Or is that still restricted? Yeah, they're, um, I'm allowed to like do them. Obviously like there isn't, they're, they're all online now, so it's, mm-hmm. it's fine. Um, you don't leave your house. <laughs> I don't, I, I'm not, I don't like leave the province or anything. Uh, mm-hmm. cause there are rules now with COVID that you can't leave the province unless it's like for family. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, but like I haven't needed to, right. Like I'm so focused on my work here. So it's, it's good. Yeah. Did your relationships with your family and friends change once you left? Like, were there people that you stopped talking to or yeah. did it remain the same? Yeah. Oh yeah. Like there are some people that I couldn't hang out with until they were sober. Right. Because it would just be too tempting. Like, what are you going to do when you see someone that all you did was drink and party with? Like you're just going to go on drink and party. So I don't want to put myself in that situation. Yeah. Um, my relationship with my family got a lot better. Like it's, it's improved like 3000%. So, and again, I had to hold up my end of the bargain, right? Like I knew that my substances had had hurt them and it wasn't just by this. It was, there was countless times in my life when I had hurt them because I was drunk or like showing up to family functions drunk or I got a, getting a DUI. Like they had been, mm. you know, it had, it, it hurt them because they love me. It didn't hurt them because it pissed them off. It just like it, they just honestly love me. 
and there's nothing wrong with that. So a hundred percent. And in terms of your sobriety, have, have there been times when you're like, Oh my God, it's getting too hard. Or you kind of have learned with coping mechanisms of how to deal with all of that. Yeah. I was never like a physical, like I was never physically addicted to anything. Like mm-hmm. I think depending on how the story is told, some people might be like, Oh, like you must've been like have the shakes. And so I was like, no, like I got not at all. You know, like I wasn't, di- I love the environment. I love the scene. But the yeah. second that I was out there, I made my own scene. I found a new addiction. Well, not a new addiction, but like a new passion, right. That I could engage in in a healthy way. And when you're born with like as much energy as me, like you need to put that energy somewhere. Right. And we're all born differently. So like, I hate when people are like, Oh, you need to do this. Like you need to take some time for yourself. And like my time for myself is like in my car going from A to B. Like, I love it. You know, like I don't need to yeah. like, sure. I'll stay home some nights, but I'd honestly rather be out. And that's, that's great. So it all depends on your own unique energy levels and, and how much like human contact or human like engagement you can handle. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I think uh, in the future, like, I don't know if we'll never have a drink again. Like, I feel like that's such, for me, that sounds like a powerless thing to say. Mm-hmm. Right. So like I, and I know I wasn't physically addicted, so who knows, maybe, but I'm not saying no. And I'm not saying yes. <laughs> yeah. I but mean, no, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. Love that. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about your business. So what was and is your purpose behind starting Comeback Snacks and what do you want to accomplish with it? Um, The purpose was sharing stories that needed to to be told about a system that's so broken um, and, you know, parts of society that help keep it broken. So like when you come to prison, sure, you don't work, you don't have a job, you're already, your finances are already crippled, then you're coming out to society where you're supposedly forgiven, but you're not because you have this record and you're deemed dangerous or untrustworthy or not loyal. Right. So I just thought that was complete bull. And I knew that everyone, the majority of people I met in prison were kind. Like I saw almost every person I know cry in there at some point. So I know that like we all had potential and we all wanted to create change. We all want to see our families again. And so I wanted to help showcase how prison doesn't actually help promote recovery it, it it creates recidivism right it's like it's not the people that are dangerous it's the prison complex that's the dangerous one because it if you're gonna stop people from getting jobs and if you're not gonna help get them on their feet like what do you think they're gonna do like it's not like you're giving the motivational speaking classes like you're basically telling them telling us what a piece of garbage we are the whole time that we're there right so it's not very encouraging to like shifting your own personal mindset and making you more aware of the skills you might have or what you are good at. Um, and so I started come back snacks. So I could be that, be that place where people could feel safe at working, be proud of where they worked and, you know, build some skills, get, get some income before they moved on to something else. Or if they want to stick around, they can stick around, but at least have that place to go. Some those, those handlebars to grip onto. So yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Especially cause you went out without a manual. Right. And so now that you have that experience, you kind of like want to bring it on to other people that might, not have been as lucky or might not have had like great mental, I don't want to say mental health, but like mental strength. Right. Yeah. So kind of. Want- yeah. I love that. Okay. So since you mentioned, um, what you were talking about, like the prison system and everything, let's talk a little bit about stigma. So I know you mentioned it a lot and it's something like you mentioned that society carries when you hear the world convict, like you don't know what the person did, but immediately you think convict, I'm going to protect my kids. Like I'm going to run away from this person because they might carry knives or whatever. So what do you think are some things that people can actively start to do to make a change? 
Um, I think like from a higher level, I think the institutions need to revise their policies. Like, you know, you're going to charge people more money for their business insurance because they went to prison or you're not going to let someone enter a, an educational program because they went to prison. Um, even a bank account, I couldn't open at a credit union because I had a record. So, okay, great. I'll just operate in cash, <laughs> you know? So it's like, it's like they're stifling legitimacy is what these mm-hmm. institutions are doing. Um, from a more personal level, I think it's important to be mindful of the effect that the media has just like more of a media awareness and how they use words and how they describe situations. Cause they often only describe crime as like, like the action. They don't ever talk about the person's life. And mm-hmm. before that, and that's what I learned in there was, was about the person's life and how much abuse they suffered. Like no one just goes out and wants to be a criminal. Like if you're raised yeah. in an environment where you're, where you're abused and that's all, you know, and, Maybe you're trying to escape it. Maybe you killed your husband because he kept abusing you or something like that. Or maybe you're a person like me who just wanted to go home, you know? And so I think if we can all relate to, or if we can all just think about like decisions being like emotional instead of criminal, that's how most people end up in prison. It's emotional decisions and we all make them. So sometimes it's a matter matter with the split second, you know? Yeah, 100%. It's kind of like if you had a, you know, if you like are driving a car and you get like a speeding ticket, right? And you're like so pissed off. And you're like, oh my God, my insurance is going to go up, right? You're like, oh my God, they're going to think I'm a bad driver. And you hope the insurance company doesn't find out out about it. Yeah. It's like, oh, but you're speeding anyway, right? Because that was the reason why you're speeding. But you try to justify through something else. That's exactly what people in prison go through. It's like, oh, I'm going to be punished for the rest of my life for this. It's like, well, insurance companies do the same thing. They punish you after one speeding ticket for years. Yeah. Right. But we tell ourselves, but I'm not a bad driver, you know? So it's, it's exactly like that. So everyone can relate to getting a speeding ticket or like a driving crash that we believe wasn't deserved. Right. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's totally. More important for us. And that's how crime happens. Yeah. I mean, a great example to think about that as well is when you are an entrepreneur or whatever it is, there's a lot of stigma behind you didn't study, but you did. So if you studied, you're a better entrepreneur than someone that didn't study. When, like you mentioned, sometimes you have innate talent. Sometimes you had a specific situation where you couldn't go to study, but you learn from a mentor, you learn from books or whatever. And there's still this part of, oh, but you're not better than this person that studied. So I 100% agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have two, three more questions before we go into the rapid fire. So this one is more specific of, do you carry any practices or things that you learned in prison through your life nowadays? This could be like a different outlook on life, like empathy, mental health techniques, something like organization. I don't know. Um, I think it's active listening is really important. Um, It really helps you understand why people made the choices that they do. And I think this really carries on to like, even in the, I'm not even going to say outside world because people mm-hmm. think prison is an inside and outside world. It's really, we're all very similar, but mm-hmm. um, I think active listening is so important. And the second one is like, like it's okay to be alone, you know, like being alone is sometimes the best place to be. But like, again, we're always surrounded with like, Oh, be together, be this like, and we feel sometimes when we're like not with someone, we think that we should be. And then we cling on to people just for the sake of clinging on to them when we don't actually need them. So sometimes being alone can actually make you so internally robust, right? And confident that it helps you like carry on when you really can't be with someone. Yeah. 
love those lessons and they're they apply like you said in everything like people should actively listen more to people and not just assume and you should also learn to like go to dinner by yourself go to the movies just spend time in a room with yourself 100 percent yeah. agree yeah most people don't do that very often when i ever tell my friends when i'm in mexico like oh i love going to the movie theaters in paris by myself they're like what a weirdo and i'm like i love it yeah yeah it's the best thing. Yeah. Okay. So what has been the biggest lesson you've learned so far throughout your whole experience, throughout your business experience, whatever aspect? The biggest lesson I learned is that you can make a comeback, but you have to hold up your end of the bargain. Um, and they're earned. They're not given. And we are, we always think things are given to us so that we expect things, but coming back from failure isn't like a one day thing. It's a process. It is a slow growth. Um, and that's when you get the best most sustainable recoveries is when you put in that long-term like effort. So Mm -hmm. I love that. That's very, very beautiful. Okay. Here comes the last question. My favorite one. I always ask a child of the guests. It's part of the theme. So I'm pretty sure you've had an experience in your life where you've probably felt like you're the only one to live it. It could be a feeling, it could be a thought or an experience or even a fear. So tell us what it was and also what you would tell other people that might be experiencing it. The biggest fear that I had? Uh, Like a moment when you felt alone in thinking, oh my God, I'm afraid of this. Probably no one else is afraid of this. Or this has only happened to me. Nobody else has had this experience. I'm alone. Like stuff like that. Um, Probably when I was sitting in the back of the paddy wagon and I was handcuffed and I, my hands and legs were shackled and I was shackled next to someone who been convicted of murder and I was on the other side I was co- sitting next to someone who had uh like stabbed someone and I was like holy crap like this is so real it's insane right um I began to see myself in them really like not from like a, that perspective but just like it really made me realize how similar we all are as, as human human beings and so I wasn't mm-hmm. really scared I was curious curious to know more yeah. Okay. And what would you tell someone that might be feeling the same thing? Like they're in a situation where they're next to someone that has done something bad, they broke their heart or whatever, and they're feeling exactly like you did. I would say like, again, try to listen, try to find out more because ignorance is the most expensive thing on the planet. Well, I paid mm-hmm. the price for my ignorance, right? And sometimes if you act like you're a know-it-all, you end up paying far much more in interest than you ever did the upfront cost right so yeah yeah amazing okay so tell us where people can buy your comeback snacks before you go into the rapid fire questions are they sold online do they go on your instagram like where can they go and buy these yeah you can see all of our adventures on our our instagram at comeback snacks my personal ones i'm so brian i talk about prison i talk about building a business as a former inmate you know um but uh online is probably the easiest way to get the popcorn because we we ship it out and that's comebacksnacks.com Amazing. Okay. Are you ready for the rapid fire question round? Yes. Okay. What person dead or alive would you love to have dinner with and why? Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, Tupac. Because okay. he's an amazing lyricist. He's been through so much BS in his life um, and he still managed to create something beautiful despite all of it. Love that choice. Okay. Would you rather travel the world for a year on a shoestring budget or stay in only one country for a year, but live in total luxury? Oh, shoestring budget for sure. (laughs) Child of the world. Okay. Would you rather live on the beach or a cabin in the woods? Oh, beach. Okay. 100%. Love that. 
Talking about snacks, what is your favorite snack? My favorite snack? I would say they're called Good Fats Bars. Okay. <laughs> what are they? They're so good. They're like high fat bars, but they're awesome because they're great for the car. <laughs> okay. Love that, love, love that. I have two. I'm definitely going to have to look them over and see what they are. Okay. If you could travel anywhere in the world right now, doesn't matter, COVID, money, flights, anything, where would you go? Um, I would probably go to Indonesia because that was where I lived and that was what really brought out the person that I know that I am and it made me so peaceful and it made me appreciate so much about life and what I had. I love that. Magazines or books? Books, for sure. Who's, whoops, sorry. Who's your biggest inspiration? Mm, I would say Sherry Garcia because she went to jail and she started a um, staffing agency for people that had been incarcerated. And she's a friend of mine and I just love her. <laughs> Amazing. If you could give a word of advice to anyone, what would that be? Um, you don't know it all. So start listening. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm actually going to create a quote and then I'm going to post it at some point on the podcast Perfect. afterwards as well. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Emily, thank you so much for chatting. Ch- chatting. I can't even <laughs> speak anymore. Thank no you problem. so much for chatting with me today. Yeah. It has been so eye-opening. Your story is amazing. I hope you are even more successful than you are right now with your Comeback Snacks business. If you ever find yourself in Paris, please come visit. Let me know. I'll give you the tour yeah. after January because right now I'm not there, but you know, yeah. after COVID, just yeah. let me know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And anyways, guys, you will find Emily's information and links in the description so you can go check it out. Go stalk her, go give her a like, a follow, and all of that. And mine as well, so you can go leave me a comment. And if you like the episodes, please leave a review. So that is all for today. See you next week, and peace out, everybody. Yay!